2: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes.
3: All right. Yeah, I know.
4: This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers.
5: This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm
6: Jacqueline Berto, the Reluctant Wedding Registrar. And I'm Stephen Bowden who has definitely never cheated by watching the film instead of reading the book.
5: And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, the ragwort Clearer extraordinaire. Well, Dumpty Dum is the People's Podcast, and on this podcast we have 12 caller and WhatsApp-innerers. We hear from
6: Edna, who has advice for several residents of Umbridge. Hannah, a first-time caller-innerer, hooray, who is lovingly stiff. Storyline.
5: Are we really calling it Stip? Well, it came to my head we can discuss that, Stephen. I like Stip. Tell us what you think, peeps.
6: (laughs) Anyway, Hannah is loving the Stip storyline, but not Rob and George. Jen, who has a view on Stip. Brian, who doesn't know what to make of Natasha. Tishan, who is irritated by
5: the farcical marriage story, but loves Bradamere. Jenny, who wants
6: to discuss Emma and her choice of courses. As does Glynn, who questions that choice. There's Christine, Gadget Gurley, who is cross with David. Jack, who still doesn't particularly like Ardil at the moment. Vicky, who is annoyed about Grey
5: Gables. Claire from Clapham, who's losing hair over Grey Gables. And
6: finally Witherspoon, who believes that love is in the air.
5: Plus, we have the week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by the lovely Rob. And three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver, and gold from Purple Pumpkin. But before Stephen and I sat chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what's happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, lovely people.
7: It's Suey here, Queen or Tart on the Twitters, and another week in Ambridge. Been a bit of an odd one, don't you think? Apparently, we've got a new scriptwriter, and there have been a few jangles along the way tracy and susan did a lot of sisterly bonding over a car boot sale and then the wedding which was looking very uncertain for a while after jazza offered his bed to hannah they did kiss and make up but there were a lot of dramas along the way pip admitted her new love interest was a woman to david and then ruth practically waterboarded him and tortured it out of him neither of them seemed that bothered to be honest Ever tried to get a job as head of housekeeping at Grey Gables, but Ardell decided she didn't have sufficient experience. Running a household and working at the chicken factory is not the same as running a five-star luxury hotel, apparently. She got rejected by both him and Oliver and decided she needs to go back to college for some qualifications. Brad behaved like a responsible adult and Tracy and Jazz's wedding was back on. Eventually it all happened, but they did get moved on from the front of the registry office and then Brad caught the bouquet. Who'd have thought it? Linda found Emma reading a book in her break. They discussed the book, but they didn't appear to be talking about the same book. Linda confessed that she hasn't actually read it, but only seen the film adaptation. No one in dumpty-dum land believed a word of it. Susan attempted to smother her sister and the rest of the family in confetti, but fear not, dear listener, they all survived. There was a lot of talk of scouts and worms, I stopped listening, to be honest, when they started talking about worms. Rex tried to matchmake Pip and Toby, or at least stop Toby getting hurt. That ship sailed, mate. Pip and Stella agreed to a date after some interminable faffage. They made a night of it, and then when Ruth came nosing around, Pip shoved Stella out of the back door. This did not go down well. Lindybottom is back to arranging the Grey Gables opening gala which Ardell wants to make sausages on sticks and a bit of punch, while Oliver's version will have live music, black tie and a sit-down dinner. And then Ardell didn't want to pay Lindy for her work. Oliver was right put out. Well, let's see what evolves then. Until next week, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one.
5: Thank you very much for that, Suey. So, Stephen, where in the world have you been this week?
6: I've been travelling around Scandinavia. One of my favourite bands is doing their first ever proper European tour. So I thought I'd pick up their concerts in Gothenburg, Oslo, Stockholm and Copenhagen. And so that's where I've been all week. Wow. Did they play the same set every time? No, they varied it a bit. From, uh, Goodness. <laughs> gig. And I'm going to see them again in a couple of weeks' time in Birmingham. Lovely.
5: So, now tell us about this band. How are they?
6: They're called Big Big Train and they play progressive rock of the sort that was in the 70s. So I'm The perfect demographic for that because it was the sort of music I listened to then, and these are probably the best people doing it at the moment. Songs about Eisenberg's Kingdom, Brunel, or things like that.
5: I shall have to tell my dad about them because he's a big prog rock uh, fan. And how was your week? What have you been doing? Well, it's been that week. I put my mum to rest, on we put my mum to rest on Wednesday. So it's been a very, very busy family week. But I've been here now. Oh, this is a new one for us, isn't it? We're in the same country recording. (laughs) I'm in my childhood bedroom recording. that. I never thought I'd say those words. So it's been an interesting week, but it's been a fabulous week for me because I've got to spend quality time with my dad. I'm still here for another five or six days. So he and I are trying to get him used to the new norm. And we're enjoying rebonding over cricket because we used to do cricket a lot in my youth. And then, of course, my life moved on and away and blah, blah, blah. And I've just been thoroughly enjoying all the cricket with him at the moment, so there we go. Well,
6: let's hope we get a bit more cricket-like
5: weather. It's due to, it's due to, I'm sure. (laughs) Last night at Old Trafford, it was fabulous, the weather, but not here. No. Well, I think that's just about enough about us, isn't it? Shall we get on to that important bit?
6: OK, it starts with this. Hello, Average
7: 3962.
6: And first up, we have a call from Edna.
4: It's Edna Cloud from Mansfield. Helen is traumatised and doesn't listen to anybody. About Pip, stop being uncomfortable around Stella and just be a grown-up. Aunt Helen. you need proper plan of action and a business plan. Confront Helen and Tom and ask outright what's going on long term with the tea room. The minute Tom mentions Natasha, ask for a meeting because you know she's the boss. Tom has got no thought whatsoever. Emma head. give George the strict boundaries. No screen time, no gaming. Show us your phone and password testing randomly anytime until we can trust you. Okay, these are my thoughts. Just a dear to them. Happy Ambridge. Thanks very much from Mansfield. Bye bye from Edna Cloud.
5: Thank you very much, Edna Cloud. That was extremely interesting. Very succinct. Now, in fact, lots of callers pick up on a lot of those those people that you talked about. Nobody else has talked about. Fallon and how she moves forward because in fact we're not hearing Fallon at the moment are we we're just hearing it from the bridge farm side so Edna suggests that Fallon should be looking at the business plan a business plan I assumed she had a business plan already but
6: I think she probably did I think that Natasha is behaving appallingly at the moment in respect of Fallon and the tea contract I think she's maneuvering to force Fallon out Mm. Unfortunately for Natasha, unfortunately for Bridge Farm, there is the perfect rival location for somebody to run a tea room coming up. And I think that we may well see Fallon getting the contract to to, to run the cafe at the recharging centre. And as I've said before, I think that's going to become a new focus of the village for a place to have conversations, much as Nelson's wine bar used to be.
5: Yeah, yeah. Good, good thoughts, Stephen. I'm quite concerned that Bridge Farm are going to push her out. I agree that's an ideal place for her to go to. And then Emma is going to, we're having Emma having a midlife crisis, aren't we, at the moment about her career and what she wants and where she's going and how educated she is. Having had a week looking after the tea room, she thinks she's management material. Natasha will manipulate everyone because she always does. Um, And then they'll end up with Emma and Natasha um, alongside all of the things and having twins, young twins, uh, working the tea room. So is this yet another thing that will
6: fail at Bridge Farm? I can't see things going entirely well at Bridge Farm with Emma running the tea room and Natasha interfering with it in her unofficial role. I think we've had some discussions before about who actually Mm. does what at Bridge Farm and the decisions should all be being made by Tom and Helen. Yeah. Natasha has Orchard, What's it Summer Orchard, that's Summer what it's Archard. called, isn't it? Yeah. So she has that to, to look after and n- she's not officially involved in anything at Bridge Farm. But mm. as you say, she does tend to manipulate and she certainly has a very strong influence over Tom.
5: Very true. Now, thank you for that call, Edna. That's the first time for a while, I think, that you've called in. Lovely to hear from you.
6: And next up, we have a first-time caller in Ruh, and it's Hannah.
8: Hello, Tumpty Dum. This is Hannah, cooking in Sheffield. I'm a lifelong, i.e. 37 years, Archers listener, but a completely new Tumty Dum listener, so hopefully this works out. I wanted to share with regular listeners the slightly ludicrous situation I've got myself into, the pickle, if you will, with listening at the moment. I'm in a quite stressful point of my life, and the combination of the return of Rob and the horrendousness of George Grundy is proving too much for me. So, I'm don't feel able to listen. But at the same time, I'm slightly obsessed with the possibility of a Pip Stella love match, especially when I think about how excited my teenage lesbian self would have been in the dark ages of the 1990s to hear this developing potential relationship. So, where we're at is that my lovely, suffering wife is listening. She is an Archer's fan, like she's an Ambrog addict like myself since we got together, which is very good. So this is not too out of the ordinary. But yeah, she's listening and then praising very gently but thoroughly for me what happens in each and every episode. If there is then any kind of sapphic development, I find that scene only, (laughs) skipping through the rest of the episodes, 20 seconds at a time, and have a listen. I, yeah, this isn't the first time we've had to do this. When we first courted, it was the apex of the abuse of Helen and her trial, which I just couldn't so she's had a little prating before. I remember coming back in in the episode, the kind of 12 Angry Men-influenced episode with the jury deliberating, A, because I wanted to know the result, and B, because I love Catherine. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons I knew my wife was a keeper when she was prepared to do that for me. I'll just end by saying that one of the good things about this new obsession is that it has made me seek out more Archer's content so I can get some more pipsqueak punditry, if we're allowed to call it that, including Tom to Tom. So yeah, keep up the good work.
6: Well, thank you for that call, Hannah. It's great to hear from you, and I'm glad that we're providing something of a service. I guess this week's probably been a bit better than the last few, because it had pretty much no Rob content at all, and not much George, but plenty of Stip, as apparently we're going to be calling it. Stella and (laughs) Pip getting together, failing to get together, getting together again, making a mess of it. I think that it's been a, a fascinating week. I've never been a huge Pip fan but I do quite like the idea of her finding happiness with Stella I think that they will make a good combination and I would hope that they will be farming Brookfield for decades to come between the two of them following on from David Ruth this would be the they would be the fourth generation at Brookfield.
5: Now I've got a question about that because quite um, a lot of people on the social media's have been speculating about Stella and Pip taking the farm forward. I've just thought of another one, Pippa Stella. Pippa
6: Stella. That's been done by another podcast, I think. Is it? Oh, sorry, sorry.
5: I'm really behind on other people listening. <laughs> As has
6: Paella, which is quite a good one.
5: Paella's a very good one, yeah. Well, well done, those other podcasts. Are we allowed to mention that we've got other podcasts? <laughs> so, what, what was I saying? Yeah, so I don't like Pip and I've never liked Pip. I find that she's a bit of a whiny... Uninteresting person. She settled for the farming without actually going elsewhere, did she? Or am I wrong?
6: No, she did some agricultural training, but no, she's no. never. No, she's to never. Move but, on.
5: no, she's never worked for anybody else. So I find that slightly astonishing in this day and age that she hasn't gone off. I mean, I've got cousins who farm, and but they all went off and worked for five or six years for other people before coming back to the family farm. And are now running the family farm. And the inheritance, because Brookfield isn't just
6: David's, is it? It's mostly da- David and Ruth are the farming partners. And yeah. I think the children may or may not have some role in that. The only external stuff is that Shula and Elizabeth, but not Kenton, would have a call on the proceeds if the farm were sold. This was something that came up during the, the whole plan B. Yeah, bypass road thing. But provided Brookfield remains a family farm, then Elizabeth and Shula get nothing from it. Right. Okay.
5: I was wondering about that because, as you know, inheritance has been on my mind this week. And also in France, I only know the French system where everybody, you can't do that. You couldn't do that. Even with a business agreement, it wouldn't work. You cannot disinherit the children and the grandchildren. It's very, very specific So it's quite made me think that maybe Pip and Stella getting the farm eventually would be scuppering somebody else's plans. So anyway, interesting to see. Thank you so much, Hannah, for calling in. And how lovely to live with somebody, your lovely wife, who is an archers fan as well. I dream of living with somebody who can discuss
6: the archers with me (laughs) or listen along. Right. Next up, we have Jen.
0: Greetings to everyone in Dumpty Dumma, and Jen here out on a rainy Irish morning feeding animals and having a think. And I've been thinking about the Pip and Stella and really reflecting on my reaction to it because I have to say I found it toe-curlingly awful. I was a bit worried. I was like, oh, I thought I was okay with gay people. Maybe I'm a bit homophobic. What's this all about? Then we heard Pip and Toby and it was equally toe-curlingly awful. So I thought, oh, well, at least that's good. So I was wondering, what is it? Why don't I like that? And I think the thing is that I have literally listened to this thing since Pip was born. I've heard about her nappies being changed. I've heard her going to school. I've heard her growing up as a schoolgirl. I don't want to listen into the intimate details of her love life. It's just sting. It's like listening to your niece or your nephew. Like, yeah, fine, they grow up and they have a partner. That's lovely. But you really don't want to hear the details of it. Yeah, just a comment on that. And I don't mind that sort of thing on Archers. I wish they'd do better sound effects for so the kissing because they're just awful. But, yeah, I think when it's a character that we've heard from children, uh, no, have some sexy stranger like Ardell blow in and have an affair with Kirstie, yeah, fine, whatever. But, yeah, no sex, please, it's Pip.
5: Mm, thank you for your call, Jen. Now, that's interesting. I don't think of it like that at all. I thought it. I think it's been quite interesting seeing. Oh, apparently seeing part of her ever-changing thought process because she's been really horrible the last few weeks, even worse than normal because... She's not quite known what to think, has she? I haven't really been disturbed like you by the idea that I've known this child since she was a baby. But, yeah, it doesn't bother me.
6: I haven't been bothered by any aspects of the relationship, but I know what Jen means in terms of the actual moments of physical intimacy as captured on the radio because all you've got is sound. Yeah, if this were a film, you would be able to do soft focus, you'd be able to bring up the music you'd be you'd have other things than just rather bizarre smoochy noises
5: yes and the sloppy noises and in, <laughs> in
6: a less realistic radio program again you could bring on music or something like that but short of having them putting on a piece of music to settle down to i don't know i think tame one on blue would be the obvious call in these <laughs> circumstances but w- without that and or even with that i think you'd still end up ha- the only way you can indicate that they're kissing is by having kissing noises. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is a bit toe-curling. And that's true, whether I think, whether you've known them since they were children or they're fully grown adults like uh, Sid and Jolene in the shower. I just think that it's a very difficult thing for the programme to do.
5: Yeah,
6: It's difficult in literature as well. Bad sex is a, it's a standard thing in literature. And I think that one of the best ways of doing that Radcliffe Hall in The Well of Loneliness has a scene between the central character and her female lover, bizarrely called Steve, and all she does is put in, and all that night they were not parted, and then moves on to the next scene.
5: Yeah, very good. Very well done. Now, just to change the subject slightly, because I don't think anybody called in about this, you said uh, you mentioned toe curling. Do you know what the most toe curling scene this week was for me? Rex talking to Pip about Toby and Toby not being hurt. Uh, I just cringed at that. I found it very, very difficult. I found it very unlikely that that would have happened.
6: Yes, I think that Rex does tend to look out for his brother. I don't think that's particularly reciprocated. I think Rex is much the nicer of the two. Yeah, I agree. But he's also socially rather awkward. I think that Toby might benefit from being more socially awkward and (laughs) Less in your face Yeah And I found that the stuff Was I think last week with Toby Offering to provide the wine to David and Ruth And so all of that And you knew that he was on a completely different page From Pip about his future relationship with Brookfield
5: Yeah Because he even said in-laws didn't he
6: Yes I I think that was That certainly made Pip's alarm bells ring And she was diving in And then we had the interruption scene When she was trying to tell Toby not to Make assumptions
5: Yes, but that wrecks this week Going to tell Pip That she has to be careful Not to hurt his little brother's feelings And all the rest of it
6: I think Ruth is still on the wrong page In all of this as well At the moment I would say she needs to tell Ruth But of course at the moment It's all off Because of the complete mess That she made
5: Yeah, but it'll be back on It'll be back on But she does She needs to be honest with her mother Because of that ridiculous Pushing Stella out the door And up Just that really irritated me. I felt very irritated by Pip by the end of the week. Even the denouement yesterday evening, Friday evening was, yeah, just so ridiculous. But yeah, as you say, uh, Ruth needs to be informed by her daughter exactly where things stand. But she doesn't know at this minute, does she? we have to wait till
9: tomorrow night. (laughs) We will
6: have to wait till tomorrow night.
9: Let's now hear from Brian. Oh, it's Brian. Natasha. I don't know what to make of her. While well, she would be very empathetic, like she was with Kirsty when Blake went missing, now she seems to have bought into the Bridge Farm way of doing things. By that, I mean changing the plans all the time, acting entirely selfishly, and treating people that they deal with awfully while well, pretending it's just being businesslike. And then, then she has got interested in tea room, and she used her empathic seals very transactionally with Emma just to get her on side. But that was after they dismissed Fallon's ideas for the tea room more or less out of hand. So they're obviously planning to, Natasha's obviously planning to stitch Fallon up in some way over the tea room. So if Fallon could get out and get the charging station concession, she'd be so much better off than he was off that nest of vipers at Bridge Farm. And at some point, Natasha is going to get tired of Tom. It's got to happen. Can you imagine living with Tom for years and years? And I do hope she takes Bridge Farm for everything they have. I know she's not part of the farm itself, but her and Tom's business has been completely enmeshed now and she did move her business to bridge farm to be on the premises i think it'd be wonderfully messy when it happens i'm sure it must happen at some point still that's my thoughts i don't know what yours are and all the best speak to you again thanks bye Thank
6: you very much for your call, Brian. I think strictly Natasha's business, she was looking to move it onto Bridge Farm and she had that run-in with Fallon over putting her industrial building on top of the old orchard that Fallon was then using as a outdoor space for the tea room that they do up during COVID. But actually, Summer Orchard is currently based at Sawyer's and I think that Natasha has been quite careful to keep her business separate from Tom's and and from Bridge Farm. If they were to divorce, then Natasha would be entitled to half of Tom's share of Bridge Farm, and Tom would be entitled to half of Summer Orchard. And I'd I guess one twin each. But I don't know how the two businesses would compare. Bridge Farm isn't home farm, so it's not worth millions. And I don't know how its value would compare to... That. No, and they did
5: sell... They sold off quite a bit of the land anyway, for, didn't they? For... To build the houses where... Beachwood. Uh, Beachwood, that's Yes. It. Couldn't think of the name of it. I think that uh, Natasha will get bored with Tom. Who wouldn't? They are. That's how I feel.
6: <laughs> but just going back to Brian's first point about how empathic Natasha was, she was indeed incredibly sympathetic empathic towards Kirsty when Kirsty was yeah. searching for Blake Christmas before last I think that was and that was because Natasha's own father we discovered at that point had long suffered from bipolar disorder mm. often gone wandering off mm. and uh, caused all kinds of grief but that whole aspect of Natasha's personality seemed to have been brought in briefly for that storyline and, and her, for
5: Helen and for helping Helen and for helping she's helping accompanied out. Helen yeah, there are bits. So we get glimmers of her kindness and, as you say, empathy with other people, but...
6: It's not consistent.
5: It's not consistent. And maybe it just changes with each writer. Maybe nobody knows quite what to make of her.
6: Yes, I, th- I think that that's <laughs> right. And, of course, we haven't had any reference to her financial proclivities for quite some time. That's and, been
5: forgotten, hasn't
6: it? Yeah.
1: Hmm.
5: Interesting.
6: We'll see. We'll watch this space, Brian, but thank you for your call. Next up, we have Titian, who has called in before, but it's been a long time.
4: Hello, Dumpty dum This is Titian. Very long time since I last called in, but I was so annoyed, shall we say, by the silly farce of, will they get married, won't they? Ho, ho, ho. Oh, bloody hell. That I thought I would call in. I'm glad I didn't hear from Helen. It's nice to hear Mia and Brad. I really like their relationship. Happy to hear more about Archer and Artois. And I want to know when we're going to hear about Lee's escape plan. Maybe he'll Maybe he'll never come back. But none of the bloody, silly comedy. None of that. Thank you very much. Excuse my language. Tid a tip.
5: Yes, quite. I couldn't agree with you more, Titian. I hate all this semi-comedy things. One thing, the marriage, the original wedding, when they pretended they'd been married, was, yeah, okay, that was a storyline and that, that was done. But to have a a blip for the second time and Susan interfering with it all, honestly, Tracy you just should have ignored her sister and they should have just swept, crept off, not swept off, crept off to the registry office and it should have gone straightforwardly. None of this ridiculous. That filled almost an episode with crap
6: from my point of view. And it wasn't even legally accurate. The business about Brad having to be over 18 simply isn't true. no. The registrar has to be happy that the witnesses are capable of doing the job. And one of the roles of the witnesses is if the validity of the marriage is ever disputed in court, that's precisely what the witnesses are there for, to speak in court and say whether or not the wedding was properly consummated. And so the question is, are they sensible enough to do that? If you're a four-year-old, probably not. So four-year-olds probably shouldn't be uh, witnessing <laughs> weddings. But a 17-year-old, a very bright 17-year-old, yep. absolutely no problem whatsoever. So there's no reason at all that Brad couldn't have been a witness for that wedding.
5: There, there's been some funny, I don't know whether it's that we are all more on the ball and Google helps us and or maybe we are just a more intelligent listener nowadays or we communicate between ourselves. But there seem to be a few little inaccuracies that creep in in recent months, people keep pointing out inaccuracies, don't they? And that is one of them that was actually a complete and utter roaring mistake that
6: the scriptwriters made, which is surprising. That was a mistake, and I do think that these are quite rare. What we do get quite a lot of times is the program not providing a certain amount of detail, and I think that some of us unintentionally make assumptions. Yeah, we may, particularly we make assumptions that if we haven't heard it, it didn't happen, and that's I think a, a mistake. We're only in Ambridge for seventy-five minutes a week out of 168 hours now about Mm. a third of that time pretty much everybody is asleep but even so we only get a fraction of what goes on so the fact that we haven't heard something doesn't mean that it didn't happen so the fact that i'm trying to think the when martha was young did she get health visitor coming by we never heard much Mm. about health visitor everybody's saying oh why hasn't she had a health visitor and then there was a brief mention of a health visitor and it turns out that everything was fine it just wasn't Something that they picked up from the story. Yeah, about.
5: no, and we do tend to forget that, don't we? Quite a lot of us say, Well, how did that happen? We didn't know that was happening, but and yet there are other things that we realise are not quite right in the real world. And I think we get on to those when we talk about Grey Gables a bit later on. So that's it. Those are the first five calls, and there are more absolutely brilliant ones coming up shortly. So hang on around hang around for those. Now, if you'd like to contribute to this madness, you would be
6: so very welcome. And
5: there are three ways you can get
6: involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dum and don't forget that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 or put plus 44 four in front and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. And please keep your call to a m- maximum of two minutes and finally you can email us we have a new email that you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views with a maximum of 250 words please and the email address is dumptdum at mail do bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part and to contribute
5: and don't worry about frantically taking notes uh, to write all that information down as you'll find all the links in the show notes
10: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
5: Right, shall we get back to our call, Stephen?
6: Okay, and next up is Jenny.
5: Hi, it's Jenny Harris
2: here from North Devon. I'm just calling in to comment about the Emma going back to college storyline. Very commendable storyline. Very good that she's going back to college to improve her skills, to get a better job. However, I'm a bit surprised that she's choosing an English literature GCSE to help her get better jobs in the future. I'm sure that people recruiting her in the future are going to look and see English literature. Wow! We'll give her a management job now we know she studied Shakespeare and 19th century literature. I'm not Having recently worked in a FE college, I don't even think many FE colleges would offer an English Literature GCSE. English Language and Maths, yes, and maybe Science, but I don't think an English Literature GCSE. I think Emma would be better to go to a local FE college and speak to one of the advisors they have there who would be able to give her some really good information about what courses would help her. To get the sort of job she wants, a few colleges offer all sorts of vocational certified courses, access to higher education courses for adults. And there are also quite a lot of distance learning courses you can do. This could be a really informative storyline for people listening to the archers to show them how they can improve their skills. But I'm not really sure about that doing English Literature GCSE is the best way to go unless. The story writers are looking to give her a sort of educating Rita type storyline with an affair with the lecturer. Maybe.
6: but Thank you for that call, Jenny. I'm just going to come in very briefly in defence of an English literature GCSE for useful knowledge. I did it. Well, it was no O-level back when I did English literature. And one of the texts I studied was Far From the Madden Crowd. And so I have learned how to treat sheep who have strayed into a field of young clover and all started bloating up. Because one of the dramatic scenes in Far From the Madden Crowd is when Gabriel Oak rescues an entire herd of sheep who have done just that. So there are bits of use, practical usefulness within English literature, O-level or GCSE as it is. But actually, more generally, I completely agree. It does seem a very bizarre choice. If Emma is reacting to the fact that she got knocked back for not having suitable management qualifications, a GCSE in English literature isn't the most obvious management qualification. There are NVQs and other more vocational qualifications, which I think that if Emma wanted something to help her in her career, would be more suitable. If, on the other hand, she just feels she needs to broaden her mind, yes, there's GCSEs like that. But she's old enough and probably wise enough that she could probably apply for the Open University and yeah. do something there. Uh, yeah, which I was I think going might, to suggest that, yeah. Might be better geared for that than doing the English to t- GCSE at wherever it is that, that she's doing it.
5: Yeah, it was quite interesting just getting on the idea of doing a GCSE. But in fact, she must already have English a uh, qualification of some kind, even if it. I don't know what age she would have me, but it was C.S. You had to have a C.S.E. in English or Maths to get on an NVQ course at one point. And she definitely has an NVQ, because she's told Natasha last week she had an NVQ in what I don't know. But she's got an NVQ, hasn't she? So she's already done. They got the basic qualification of maths and English. So maybe it is about her moving her general education further on. I still don't think literature is a good way of moving on, a GCSE. She's looking for management jobs moving on. Maybe bookkeeping would be more relevant. I don't know.
6: Yes, she did do GCSEs and the results were disappointing and not good enough for her to move on to sixth form study. But I'm pretty sure that she got As you say, the very basic level enough to get through on both English language and Mm. maths, but not enough to make A-levels the most logical way to move on.
5: But they made a reference, her and her mum talked about her lack of education a few weeks ago, maybe only last week. Susanna was saying that you just didn't enjoy school, did you? And she was saying, yeah, but she regretted that she hadn't made more of an effort. So maybe this is, and this hit, this knockback from Adil and and half from Oliver. Maybe that will set Emma on a mindset that she thinks, yes, and she will actually do something. How old is Emma, Stephen?
6: I will now need to, to look that one up.
5: All right. There you are then. Well, so we listen to the next call, which is vaguely relevant, and we'll come back to how old she is?
6: Yes. Next up, we have Glynn, who is also wanting to talk about Emma's educational choices.
10: Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glynn here, calling in, having heard all episodes up to Thursday this week. Thursday's episode was the significant one where Pip, at the end, Pip and Stella went in for a dinner date at Rickyard Cottage. Hooray! We're getting some movement forward there. And I think what is very well written and what is what is good here is that we and Pip are discovering or going along her journey at the same time, and I think that makes it much more believable. It's not some hidden secret that the character has hidden away from the listeners all these years. In the rest of the week, I have to say I'm a bit confused about what Emma is up to. When she was talking to Oliver about getting qualifications I thought she was going to go back to college and get some vocational qualifications in hospitality management, but it it turns out that she's going to go back and get an English Literature GCSE. Now, nothing wrong with English Literature GCSE. I hold one myself, but I don't think it would be a great help in developing a hospitality career. I studied Macbeth, and the example of hospitality that is given to Duncan by Macbeth and Lady Macbeth is one that I don't think should generally be repeated so i think with that i will i'll leave it for this week and say as ever thank you very much for the podcast have a great week in dumpty dumm everyone and stay safe bye-bye
5: right before we talk about glenn how old is emma
10: emma has just turned
6: 39 so she'll be 40 next summer
5: right that's interesting because i looked up at the same time as you were scrabbling through books and it says she was born in 86
6: my book says 84
5: well, there you are then. So all these fictional characters with their movable birthdays. Yeah, so she's late 30s. So yeah, why not? She's got time to study something more relevant to moving on. But I think she was grasping at stores. We didn't hear the thought process of why she decided in two days to read a book. But fantastic that she's reading a book. I'm with Philippa on this. Books are essential yeah, good for you, Emma, for reading, but maybe th- rethink the, the the GCSE line. Now, Glynn also talked about P and Stella and their date, because he only listened till Thursday night. So he hasn't had a comment on the maelstrom, which it was Friday of emotions, Friday morning leading through to Friday evening. <laughs> poor, poor, poor Stella.
6: Yes, she is not having a, a good time of it. And I felt that Pitt was doing exactly the sort of thing that Stella had just explained had put her off relationships with people who are still exploring. Exploring, yeah. I agree. I I think that they should have had a talk about the fact that Ruth, for instance, lives next door to Stella. I think, I'm not sure exactly where Rickyard Cottage is, but I imagine it must be somewhere pretty close to Brookfield Farmhouse. They're all living there together. Ruth and Stella are friends. You can't have that situation without people being open and honest about Relationships between each other, and mm-hmm. they should have moved sooner rather than later, and perhaps used Ruth's appearance walking into the cottage on Friday morning as the opportunity to make absolutely clear how things stood. And I think that Stella would have hoped that Pip would have stood up for the relationship rather than bundling her out the back, which seems yeah. to be completely the wrong approach.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So we know that Ruth knows that Pip is considering a relationship, or is in love, or however it was put to with another woman. Therefore it would be quite natural for her to learn who the woman is. I just think that secretiveness is exactly, as you say, what Stella was wary about.
6: Yes. Well, we will I think have some discussion on that very topic in our next call, which is from Christine known as Gadget Girlie.
4: Hello to Jacqueline and Stephen and all Dumpty Dummers. I've just listened to Sunday's episode and I'm sorry, David should have kept Pitts Coincidence. We recently had a situation where our son confided in one parent and not the other. I had to trust his dad that everything was under control. Within less than 24 hours, our son asked me, Did dad tell you about? I was so glad that I could say no, so our son knows he can trust us both. Pip is a grown woman, not a child. She's entitled to her privacy. I can understand Drew's being concerned. However, all David had to say was, There's
6: nothing to worry about. She'll tell you when she's ready. It's Gadget Gurley here from the west coast of Scotland. Bye. Thank you for that call, Gadget Gurley. And yes, I absolutely agree. I don't think it should have been too difficult for David to tell Ruth enough to reassure her that there was absolutely nothing to worry about, but that Pip would be able to tell Ruth all about it when she was ready to do so. I think that David would probably have wanted to encourage... Pitt to tell Ruth, but you have to pick your moment for these sorts of things. And as we were just saying, I think that that moment might have been when Ruth comes into the cottage and Stella is in the bedroom. But Pitt wasn't ready for that, unfortunately. And Stella is the one who who lost out as a result. But no, D- David should not have coughed up like that.
5: No, trust. You have to trust that the other parent does know what they're talking about. And uh, yes, this whole thing with trust with children and sharing secrets with everyone. My family have had a history of parents telling other siblings a secret from somebody, not a secret, but a confidence. I'll tell you what, it didn't go down well at all. It caused an awful lot of hassle because we didn't know, you didn't know who you could trust, who you could believe, who you could rely on. So I agree with you, Christy, completely. You have to, we have to. And David is just, but David's so infantile anyway, in my view. And he infantilises
6: uh, Pip. He does, very much so. Uh, and, and the other children as well, in fact. Yeah, yeah, in fact, yeah. Next up, we have the next instalment of a long-running mystery.
11: Hello, Jacqueline. I'm Dumpty Dummers. Your hint this week. This is Jack here, by the way. I'm just walking down the Holly Wall towards a music room at work. Uh, the orangery is behind me. The music room and the orangery are both built in the typical 18th century style. That's a very big hint in the 18th century if you're lucky, you may hear a plane go overhead. Again, the plane and the M6, flight path, all that sort of stuff. That's, that's quite a big hint. I'm enjoying this. Thoughts on this week? I'd like to rest my case on Ardill, really, although I will have more to say in the future. I think the way he's spoken to Emma is nothing short of despicable. It speaks of gross classism, the way he's looked down on her, dismissed her out of hand, not willing to even give her a chance, even put her through to interview despite Oliver's um, clearly much more varied experience with the people of Anbridge and knowing what they're capable of. And I think it just, as the plane, I think it just underlines that he really has no interest in building the relationships that we would have seen before, before Grey Gables was sold. And I just think that he has no desire to turn it into an institution for the locality. I just don't think it wants to serve Anbridge or even Borsetshire, quite frankly. But there we are, apart from being some sort of high-end hotel, but certainly not speaking to the local community. I think he's completely bypassing that. And I think that that says it in the fact that how he's spoken to Emma, who is a proper yokel local. So um, there we are.
5: Anyway, uh, Pip-Pip. Well, Jack. You've really had me going for the last few weeks with this searching. So when I first heard your call, I thought about Manchester and Manchester Airport. So I looked around the M6, Manchester Airport, and found Tatton Hall. And then I came across Capesthorpe Hall. But finally, I think I've got it. Castle Bromwich Hall in Birmingham. What do you think, Stephen?
6: Castle Bromwich was my immediate thought when yeah, it was the I Holly heard was the Holly Walk and the Orangery. And, yeah. and Castle Bromwich is 18th century, and so... Yeah. I came to that conclusion as well.
5: Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed that little game, Jack. Please confirm whether we're right or wrong. Going on to your next point, though, about Grey Gables and about Ardil and his treatment. I feel, like Stephen said earlier, we don't know all the ins and outs of everything that goes on with uh, the storylines and with people, but we've never had enough information about the development of Grey Gables and Ardil's representing the owners and his lack of empathy with employees locals but I think he's going to have trouble employing people anyway. I know our next caller Claire talks about how irritating the development of Great Gables is so I think we can probably go on to talk about that but I agree with you I don't think deal is for Great Gables and for Ambridge.
6: I think Adil is very different from Jack Woolley who was the character who did the most to bring gate who did the most to bring Grey Gables into the heart of Ambridge mm. and into the heart of the Archers. And while Caroline and Oliver followed from there, it was never quite the same as the Jack Woolley era, when every evening you had the Tommy Croker band playing yeah. and you had Sir Sidney and Lady Goodman, Mercedes Goodman, yeah. turning up and... It was all at the heart of the Borsetshire society. Adiel seems to be something very different. He's a much colder character. I find sadly, I'm liking him less and less. Yeah. As this this goes on, I, I I just don't warm to him at all.
5: No, I agree. I agree. He's he at first I thought, oh, he's actually quite nice. A nice maybe a love interest for Lizzie or Kirsty or or oh, not Lizzie. Sorry, her daughter Lily. But no, I. He's irritating me more and more with his treatment and attitude to a, towards Linda, who, after all, is a friend as well as his landlady, but they've become quite friendly at times. She's a funny old stick anyway. But no, I'm not enjoying Adil and how he's been
6: written now. We still have plenty more to talk about around Grey Gables because that's what our next call is all about. And this is Vicky.
12: Hello, everybody. Jacqueline and Stephen. <laughs> I think today it's Vicky Cole here in Vienna. Yeah, no. What a silly old week this has been. After the last two weeks before this, where I've actually been keeping up for once and trying to listen to the episodes on the day they come out, which is quite unusual for me, but I was on Tenderhooks. It was so exciting, so good. This week's just been a whole lot of nonsense, really. The business with Linda and not reading the books, but pretending she Mm -hmm. has, and and then all that nonsense with Jazza and Tracy, uh, none of this rang true at all. But the thing that rang least true, in my view, is the whole business of Linda and Grey Gables and this amazing, fabulous ball for the opening of Grey Gables that people can't stop talking about. And it's going to cement Grey Gables' new reputation. And they're asking Linda to organise it. Now, Linda is jolly good at doing village productions, but has she ever organised anything else? As far as I remember, she's never been involved with organising a hunt hall or anything like that, has she? So how would she even begin to know what to do? And then Ardell thought she'd do it free of charge, so he's basically entrusting the launch event to an amateur, and then thinking he's not going to pay her. It's bonkers. So now I'm wondering, perhaps if there is some sort of financial difficulty going on. Maybe it's all falling apart, and maybe, plot prediction, Oliver will lose his money, which would be very sad. But it's all being very silly. Anyway, I hope everybody shall. Yeah. Lots of love. Bye.
6: Thank you, Vicky. I agree with you that this week it hasn't been the must-listen radio that we've had for the last couple of weeks. It is a new writer, Caroline Jester. I think this may have been her first week, but I don't think the issues were to do with Rachel. I think it was to do with the fact that it was a bit of a filler week and that she wasn't given enough to do to bring things out after the excitement of Tim Stimson's work last week. I think that's part of it. Now, will Oliver lose any money? I don't think Oliver will, because Oliver has actually sold 60% of Grey Gables. Now, I think that he had probably run into quite a lot of debt. He had to sell it in order to cover off his debt. I'm not sure how much of the money that he got from the sale of Grey Gables he's still got. But the key point is that he now only has a 40% share in it. If Grey Gables falls to pieces, he would lose that. But that's not money that he has invested in. It's the opposite way round. in that he has effectively taken money out of Great Gables and put it somewhere safe.
5: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't understand the finances of it all. You understand it much better than me. But yeah, I do find I find it annoying. I found it particularly annoying that Adil was assuming that Linda would organise this ball for free. And frankly, it's they're doing it in November. That's two, two and a half months away. Far too late. If anything, I've learnt over the last few years is that if you want to do something well, start planning it a year in advance.
6: Yes, and November... I've I've been involved at work in planning for some fairly large conferences, and we're starting planning about two years out. Yeah, And November is actually a very busy time for conferences. A lot of organizations have conferences in November. Mm. Now, obviously, it's a hotel, so it's not an issue of trying to find a space at a hotel, but a lot of the services that they would need to bring in that they wouldn't be able to do in-house will be already booked up and possibly be booked up for Absolutely. a year.
5: Absolutely. And a lot nowadays, since COVID, it would appear that a lot of locations have, or a lot of subcontractors only work for certain locations. So we're talking about a conference centre hotel who are going to have to bring everything in from musicians to caterers probably we don't quite know what the position is with the kitchens there Um, and it's supposed to be
6: a black tie luxury event to sell great gables as this new modern country house hotel something that linda really is not the right person for she does not have the experience no. This is not a village event where everybody mucks in and everybody is forgiving of things that go wrong because they all know that they're they're their friends and neighbours. And this isn't that sort of event at all. This has got to run absolutely perfectly and without the last minute panics and dramas, all of Linda's actions have been associated <laughs> with.
5: Indeed, Show- showcasing this hotel. And anyway, Stephen, really, if I received an invitation to a black tie due in November in the next month, I'm sorry, I, my calendar is already full, isn't yours? There aren't that many black tie events on my calendar, but... <laughs> but yeah, calendar's pretty full already for November. You, but you and I both know that we both plan things far in
6: advance. Indeed, and certainly it would have to be a night when we're not prepping or recording dump Absolutely. Dump. <laughs> anyway, I think we've got more Great Gables discussion coming in from
4: Claire. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. Over the last little few months, I've been calling and ringing about the kind of haplessness at Bridge Farm and tearing my hair up. But this week, I'm tearing my hair out about Grey Gables because I like a less professional arrangement I can barely imagine. Like, I'm no business brain, but I just don't get what's going on there. It's taken ages. They've still not fitted the bathrooms. None of this makes any sense. They're trying to do an opening event or they don't even have a schedule for when this is going to happen. If you want to do a big ball like that, you kind of want to know with like quite a lot of advanced notice, one assumes. like It's not going to be done, well, probably is going to be done like the Panto in about three weeks. Why would Oliver go out offering people jobs? Why would he convince Ardell to employ Linda? There's got to be some really Ryan. talented event planners Like who are really hungry for that job. And... Anyway, it doesn't make any sense. It's been such a long time in refurbishment; none of that works. I really want Grey Gables to come back with a bang and be a great venue, and also, you know, it's a really important part of the program because it's where you know people have conversations and go swimming and you know do stuff. You know, it's a place of employment. It's a place of meeting. That's really important in radio drama when you need people to be in the same place and. I want it to work, but goodness me, right now I'm worrying that the whole thing is just going to go bankrupt before they're even opened. And poor Oliver will have to stop being the Ambridge Fairies for everybody. Who knows? Anyway, do let's hope that they can sort themselves out. And I'll speak to you soon.
5: Bye. Oh, thank you for that call, Claire. It's lovely to hear from you. Yeah, it's basically what we were just saying, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The inaccuracy of the timescale and the inefficiency of the offering jobs, searching for stuff now when they're ho- hoping to open in a few months' time. No, absolutely ridiculous, yes. Uh, it's gone from being Ridge Farm being ridiculous to the Great Gables story being very inefficient and the job
6: market story is just ridiculous, irritating. That and the sudden discovery that the bathrooms haven't been fitted into <laughs> the bedrooms and so on. I think that something is looming. I do wonder whether we're heading for some sort of showdown with the mm. mysterious-to-us owners yeah. and that we're going to find out a bit more about them in quite dramatic fashion. But I also agree with Claire's point about it being important that Great Gables is a meeting place because we have lost it as it, it yeah. was when it was a place where characters came together not as important as the bull or the village shop, but it's good to have variety. And I mentioned earlier that the charging station has the potential to be that. But I think we yeah. need Grey Gables as well. It will bring together a different set of characters.
5: Yes, because, of course, they had the spa, the health club, didn't they? And lots of people used to go along there for a swim, a sauna or workout in the gym. And We don't know with the new Grey Gables is it even going to have that. Yes, Grey Gables needs to be another meeting spot, as she says. Thank you, Claire.
6: And finally, we have a call from Witherspoon. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs.
1: Mercy. <laughs> Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Going into Friday, it's been a more positive week in Ambridge. Established, new, and young. Love is in the air. Coincidentally this song played along with hundreds of rose petals being thrown from points on high at the conclusion of Handsome Husbands and My Marriage Ceremony 10 years ago this month. Time goes so quickly. Tracy and Jazzer and Stella and Pip. The course of love is not always smooth, and the scriptwriters played the same trick on us with both couples. First, Tracy's tantrum, which many of us agreed was out of character and out of context, that got quickly resolved. But then it looked like all was going to pot on Wednesday, the day of their wedding. But a quick reversal of fortune, and Tracy and Jazza were joyously celebrating by the end of the episode. turned to Stella and Pip on Thursday. It looked like their romance was over before it began. But again, the scriptwriters orchestrated a very quick 180-degree turn. By the end of the episode, they were celebrating, although in a much quieter way. Finally, there's Brad and Mia. Young love. Aren't they cute? A special shout out to Brad, who's becoming my favorite Ambridge resident. He's a bundle of brains, empathy, sweetness, and anxiety. That reminds me in some ways of teenage me. I look to his journey of increasing confidence over time. Talk to you soon. Oh, wait, addendum. Just listen to Friday's episode. Well, as Billy Shakespeare said, the course of true love Never does run smooth.
6: Thank you for that call with a spoon. We haven't really said very much about Brad and Mia. We've talked about the other two partnerships that you mentioned, but we haven't really said very much about Brad and Mia. I think it is a very sweet relationship. I think that they are really good together. I think that each of them somehow manages to bring out the best in the other and to round each other off in a, you know, a very a nice way. I know there are a lot of people who are very irritated about Mia and uh, about her causes and, and so on. Mm. But I, I tend to agree with what Mia is in favour of and therefore I'm prepared to give her a bit of a slack on the irritating front. She's taken a role that I think used to be played by Kirsty of being the yeah. environmental conscience of Ambridge.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I love them as a couple. You know, even the sloppiness of the clearing ragwort and even though it's an inaccurate storyline, but hey. we I think we need to see this kind of young, vulnerable love. I know they've made it a policy to try and attract younger listeners and that's maybe one of the ways that they're trying to do it but I think it's based too low as an age group and it's just appealing to to silly little old grannies like me.
6: (laughs) Yes. I I think if they wanted to attract younger viewers they should have another go at Ambridge Extra which would then mean that you could hide some of these characters off to there but on the other hand that would mean that we might miss out you wouldn't want to miss out on george for instance in the main program no
5: definitely not definitely not you we need people like george in it says as we've said the last previous two weeks before this week just hanging on to the edge of your seats listening fabulous and as you as we also have said many times before you have to get two three brilliant weeks and then you get a bit of a filler week and we tend to say oh it's a new writer it's a new writer but in fact We always get these filler weeks. So this was one. Let's hope we're going to get a brilliant little humdinger for next week for our Philippa and Katie, I think, next week, is it? So those are all the calls. Thank you so much for calling in, everyone. We do love them. And please think about calling in next week. We didn't get any emails or or WhatsApp messages this week, I don't think. No, none. Okay, so let's move on to Facebook. And we need to give a very warm welcome to...
6: Viv Jones. Sue Wayne, Ruth Pycroft, and Hannah Brock Womack, who we heard from earlier. Lovely. Susie Cooper, Ellis Turr, Emma Dwyer, and Peter Ward. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup with our Rob.
13: Hello there, everyone. It's still much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. The week began with Oliver suggesting that jobs were being handed out left, right and centre at Grey Gables, which led to an awkward coffee in the tea room. Pam DeLay commented, Will Emma Grundy be seething about the duplicitous Adil a year from now, about his U-turn on the unfulfilled commitments he just pledged to her? nerve never the man, trying to enjoy his beverage in peace. Who does he think he is? I accidentally made a comment about Emma's bribe of choice there being a possibility to put too much chocolate on a cappuccino. But I was forced to back down when the grand dame of sweet things, Philippa, weighed into the fray. When Emma was told she couldn't be the boss of Grey Gables, but if she had a muffin bucket, then there may be room for her, she came up with another plan. Kate Penfold said, Emma says she is going back to college to gain some qualifications. Then she tells Linda she's doing English Literature GCSE. I'm all in favour of learning for its own sake, but I would have thought she would be advised to get functional English and maths than an access course. Personally, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from taking a course that encourages them to read novels, poetry and plays. That's why I did English Lit. But I do wonder how it would help with their job-seeking. But Helen Blackburn stated the obvious. Gray Gable should really have brought a recruitment company in to fill these posts. Too many people know too many people in Ambridge. Hannah's accommodation problem caused a wee bit of a problem. Al Williams said, "Oh dear, Jazza didn't think that through, did he?" Tracy was justified in being annoyed, but as usual, went a bit over the top. While Amanda quietly thought, honestly, what was that all about with Jazza and Tracy? Tracy doesn't strike me as the jealous type. Yes, Jazza shouldn't have offered their home without asking, especially as it is technically Tracy's, but to me, she went OTT. Although I didn't like Hannah saying all that to Tracy either. Maybe she has got a little crush on him now. And Kate Lyle observed, That was about as out of character for Tracy as George becoming a scout leader. Nolly Griffin said, Why don't Jazza and Tracy ask Jim? if Hannah could move into Jazza's old room. But, to finish where we started, Al Williams rounded this bit off with Brad Horrobin. What a lovely boy. Kind, sensible, clever, empathetic. He is right. Offering to buy chips is a sign of true love. Oh yes, Al. Anyone who buys me fish, chips and mushy peas takes a step closer to my heart. Then we had Pip coming to terms with her sexuality. That should have been a big thing, possibly even a just-before-the-closing-music moment but all that was spoiled by the Radio Times getting a wee bit giddy. Al Williams, who seemed to be getting everywhere this week, said, well, hats off to David and Ruth. I think they both handled that situation pretty well. And runner-up for shock of the week was our very own Philippa Hall. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm currently Team Pip and Team David. I actually punched the air when Pip told David. Lovely stuff which left Louise Lawton with shock of the Week. That was some confession from Linda. How can Emma possibly keep that secret? To be honest, in a week of Unbelievables, the thought of Linda trying to blag her way through a discussion on Daphne de Maurier based purely on the film is the most unbelievable, especially as it was a Nicholas Rogue adaptation. I would have thought she would have said something like, ah, don't look now. I haven't actually read that one, but I did enjoy Jamaica Inn. And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of Fun and follic on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned, though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours.
5: Thank you so much for that, Rob. That was great. And thanks to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group for your participation. Now, let's go on to Twitter. Where you will find us at Dumb t-dumb. make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumb t-dumb. I can be found at Jayberto Sanguen,
6: and I can be found at Wenlock House. Let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week.
10: Hello, it's Fry here, and now on Dumb it's time for Tweet of the Week.
3: Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, Quentin and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, I've enjoyed a thread started by Worthing Wanderings, Sieur de Pontieu. Apparently, it's only five weeks until the scheduled return of Schuller from Sunderland. So how will this be handled? Miranda said that she can't return as it'll cause more Ambridge homelessness, but Winston, Texas said surely there's a nun's cell at St Stephen's with a simple bench and a hair shirt blanket that she could repose in. David Martin suggested she might return to Ambridge from Sunderland via Lourdes and experience a miracle that makes her convert and go into an enclosed order of nuns, taking a vow of silence for life. But most of the humour in the Twitter stream this week Came instead from the brief Will They Won't They of Pip and Stella. Much of it is unrepeatable on a Wholesome Family po- Podcast, but some of it made it into I Treats of the Week. So here are the medals. In bronze position, it's James A. at Exeter Dormouse channeling Mrs. Merton's infamous question to Debbie McGee. So, Stella, what first attracted you to firm heiress Pip Archer? There was then some debate about whether will really inherit more than one milking shed, but I like the idea. The silver medal goes to Finton T, at Finton the Wrong. David and Ruth are going to put two and two together and get Lottie, aren't they? And the gold medal goes to Charlie Notton, at 19 CEN, who had a very strong week, but I've chosen this one. Look, Oliver, if Linda won't do it, ask Eddie. Have the grand ferret ball. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter next time.
5: Thank you for that purple pumpkin and congratulations to all who were mentioned this week's roundup, but especially those
6: medal winners. In bronze, James A. X, the Dormouse. In silver, Finton T, at Finton the Wrong. And in gold, Charlie Notton, at 19CEN. And don't forget, we're on Instagram at Dumpty Next week's episode will be hosted by Philippa and Katie, so do get your calls in in the usual way. As we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to our social media supremos. The whole Dumpty Dum team are doing great. And we must
5: say thank you to Shambridge for her voices. And our podcasting parents Lucy
6: V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We are now off to watch Don't Look Now, so it's a <laughs> bye-bye from me. And it's a Cheerio Toodlepip from me.
9: Dumpty LAUGHTER